Hi everybody, tonight we're going to take, begin looking at the story of the tabernacle. We're going to try to put the tabernacle into a historical context. So we're, we're going, we, are, we are studying the tabernacle. By the way, what was the tabernacle? Okay, it was the, it was the tent the children of Israel built while they were in the wilderness to have a place to meet the Lord. Good. Yeah, that's the tabernacle that we're talking about. And we've, we've had an introduction to our, to our study, and today we're going to begin looking at the story of the tabernacle. We're not going to have too many lessons on that. And then we'll take a look at the details of the tabernacle. Uh, the tabernacle is a part of the covenant of the law. So let's get into the historical context. It's difficult to know exactly where to begin, so I like to begin at the beginning. Whenever we, whenever we look at the uh, history of the tabernacle, we'll go ahead and begin, and we'll just talk about the, the creation and of course, we know that the Lord created everything, the heavens and the earth, the, the whole universe, and it was all perfect whenever he created it. And what caused, whenever you see the word the fall, what does the fall refer to? Okay, fall means something went down. Okay, what do we mean by the fall? Alright, so the human race, which at that time was made of two people, the human race fell from righteousness or fell from innocence and fell from their uh, pure condition into sin, into sin, and they were, of course, they were influenced to, into that fall from fellowship with God into into sin. They were influenced by by Satan, but ultimately it was their own choice. And then, not only that, that fall of Adam and Eve was just the beginning, wasn't it? Because we go from the fall of Adam and Eve into the into the degradation of their own, of their children, and so that by the by the second generation we already have murder in the human race. Cain Cain killed Abel, and and then as the story unfolds, we we see that there came came the point that the Lord said that the thoughts of their of their heart were only evil continually, and that was whenever there were millions of people. And it's interesting if you do the math, there there were. Um, there were hundreds of millions of people probably on the earth by the by the time of Noah, and uh, we'll save that for another time. And then the Lord uh, judged them by the by the flood, and and wiped out all the human race except for eight people. And then with those eight people, the Lord started over again. And uh, do you remember what God commanded Noah and his sons to do when they came out of the ark? Go and replenish the earth. And uh, the descendants of Noah did not go and replenish the earth. They stayed in one place. They stayed in the plain of Shinar. And they built a tower. And whenever they built the tower, they said, Go to, let us make us a name, lest we be scattered upon the face of the earth. And so the, the point of the tower was not so much to build a structure to get up above the flood. I mean, stop and look at it. Where were they when they built the tower? They were on the plain of Shinar, yeah. Now, if you wanted to build something that was going to get you up above a flood, you'd probably start at the top of the mountain, right? Okay, well, that's something to think about. But they, but they stated that their purpose was, go to, let us make us a name, lest we be scattered. So they were building a monument to the human race so that they could all stay together and stay in unity and stay stay a, a, a strong people there to do what they wanted to do whenever whenever they God had told them to disperse well you know God has his plans too you know I just heard it said not too long ago that if you think God doesn't have a sense of humor just make some plans but 
but but the Lord came down, and of course He confused their languages there. And based upon those the 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 different languages, they scattered. And if you'll read there in Genesis chapters 10 and 11, the Scripture gives you a list of the families that came forth from Noah, and it concludes by saying that that these it was in these families that they scattered uh, um, across the earth. So what happened was that the Lord gave different families different languages and they scattered from each other and they became isolated from each other. And the human race really lived in isolation from, from one another for about 4,000 years. I mean, if you stop and do the math, the Tower of Babel was approximately 2,500 B.C., the great age of exploration uh, of which Christopher Columbus was on the cutting edge, you know, followed by Ferdinand Magellan and, and uh, all of those guys. Uh, was about 4,000 years later in, in, the, uh, uh, in the 1500s. So for 4,000 years, the various um, uh, segments of the human race lived in isolation from each other. And over that time, they developed outstandingly different physical characteristics, different cultures, different ways of life, etc., etc. And so when they came together, well, we're still coming together and there's still some friction among the different parts of the human family as they, as they come together. Anyway, that's another whole story. So, so the Lord confused their languages at the Tower of Babel, and that brings us to the end of Genesis chapter 11. And then beginning in Genesis chapter 12, the scripture focuses on the patriarchs. And of course, patriarchs means the fathers, and we're talking about the fathers of Israel, of whom we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the Lord made the covenant with Abraham that through his seed all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Well, what we had seen in the human race from the time of Adam and Eve was cursing and sin and cursing and sin and cursing and more sin and more cursing. And, but, but the Lord comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, in your seed all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Ah, this is the promise. The promise that there's going to be a way that God's going to bless the human race and it's going to be in the seed of Abraham. And we know from the book of Galatians that that's a specific reference to to Jesus, yeah, not just not not the not the whole um, list of all the descendants that came from Abraham, but the specific individual, which which is Christ. And then we follow the the story of, of Abraham's uh, Abraham's life and the covenant that God made with Abraham through Isaac, and then down through Jacob, whose whose name God changed to Israel. And then we have the story of Jacob's twelve sons, and we end up with Joseph. And Joseph, of course, brought the children of Israel down to Egypt so that he could take care of them during the famine. But the Egyptians enslaved them, didn't, didn't they? They enslaved the children of Israel down, uh, down there in Egypt, and the people of Israel were enslaved in Egypt for over 400 years. And as we read the scriptures, you know, I've been looking at the numbers of generations. There's about four, four generations there from, between, the, uh, between the 12 sons of, of um of Israel and the time of Moses. There are about four generations there. So there was, a, there was a heritage of slavery going on here. And as we talked about last time, uh, the, the Lord God of, of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, was a distant memory in their minds. They were deeply entrenched in the, in the uh, worldview, the perspectives of the Egyptians by this time. But the, the Lord was a part of their thinking, but they... But they he was not their God in the sense that they looked to him. So they were enslaved. The Lord raised up a deliverer. What was the name of the deliverer? Everybody knows that. Moses. 
And, uh, and of course, Moses went to Egypt, and, and under, uh, under Moses' direction, under the Lord's direction, Moses called down the different plagues on the Egyptians. What was the, what was the last plague that the Lord called down? The death of the firstborn. That's right. The firstborn of, of Egypt were all killed when the death angel went through, but the firstborn of Israel were all redeemed by the blood of a lamb, which was placed on the doorpost of the of the homes of, of the of the Israelites. And after the after the uh, the death of the firstborn, <coughs> Pharaoh finally uh, gave in and said, "Yes, you may go." And the children of Israel were released from bondage. Well, they journeyed from to the Red Sea, and at the Red Sea, the Egyptians caught up with them, and the and uh, the Lord opened up the sea. The children of Israel passed through on dry ground, and the, the the Egyptians, trying to do the same things, were unsuccessful because God pulled the wheels off their chariots, and they were stuck in the bottom of the Red Sea. And then the Red Sea closed on them, and and uh, that chapter ends with the statement that the children of Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore, which is, which is a remarkable statement. The Lord gave them a visual impression that they were released from slavery, from the Egyptians. And the first thing that happened uh, just a few days later, I think it was just three days later, they came to a place called, called Merah, and, and uh, there was no water. And so what the children of Israel told Moses was, there's no water here. Because there weren't any graves in Egypt, you have brought us out here to die of thirst. Well, what a remarkable thing to say. They've just been released from slavery, and now they're making reference to want to go back to Egypt. But um, uh, it's remarkable. You know, the children of Israel were cut from the same fabric that you and I are cut from. Isn't that right? We are all members of the human race. We're all descendants of Adam. And the, and the people of Israel were cut out, they're made out of the same fabric, the same clay that you and I are made out of. And so as we look at the children of Israel, we're really seeing the way that we would respond had we been in the same situation. I'm quite sure, I'm quite sure, at least, at least uh, this guy standing in front of you probably would have been right there with them, you know. Um, and then, the, uh, of course, the Lord... Uh, at, at Merah, what happened was they came to a place where there was bitter water, and uh, and uh, uh, the Lord told Moses to to cut down a tree and put the tree into the water. And whenever he did that, the water became drinkable. And the Lord provided water. You know, this begs the question: as we see the children of Israel complain all the way through their journeys in Egypt, this begs the question: Would the Lord have provided for them if they had not griped? What do you think? They never gave God a chance to find out. You know. Anytime there was trouble, we don't see them humbly going before the Lord and saying, Lord, you know, we've got a problem here. Uh, what will you do for us? How will you make... We never see that. We see them go straight to Moses. Well, now what have you done, you sap? You brought us out here. You're trying to kill us all. You know, we just see this silly complaining and griping and groaning. And you have to wonder, how would the... You know, the Lord would have... The Lord would have miraculously provided for them in a wonderful way. He didn't bring them out there to kill them. He didn't go through all the, the promises to Abraham, protect all their fathers and, and take them through the, the plagues of Egypt and, and protect them, bring them through the Red Sea, destroy the Egyptian army to bring them out in the wilderness to die. Is that what the Lord had in mind? You know, that's a good question for us to ask about our own life, isn't it? 
You mean, you know, we could take a look at our own life and whenever we come into financial difficulty or whatever it may be, you know, for us to say, well, now, what? I just don't understand what God is doing in my life. The Lord's forsaken me. Everything's going to be destroyed. It's all going down the tubes. You know, that's the same attitude the children of Israel have. But if we can stop and maintain a sense of perspective and remember what all the Lord's done for us and how he's worked in our life and how he's provided and, and guided and all this, you know, we could maybe we can learn a lesson from looking at the children of Israel to say, hey, you know, I shouldn't be like that. I should be trusting the Lord that uh, that He's going to see He's going to see me through. He's going to accomplish His purpose in all this. He He's always come through, and uh, and He hasn't forsaken me now. So then they complained because they didn't have food to eat, and the Lord sent the sent the manna uh, in the morning, and He sent them quail to eat in the evening. So they had. Uh, they had meat as well as manna. Then they came to the place called Rephidim. Three big events happened at Rephidim. The first one was they ran out of water again, and they complained to Moses again, and God told Moses to take the rod of God and hit the rock, and whenever he did, of course, the waters came gushing out and, uh, and provide water for the children of Israel. And they were attacked by the Amalekites. And, and of course, what happened when they were attacked by the Amalekites was that Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up on the mountain and uh, Moses held up the rod of God. He held up both his arms. Aaron and Hur were standing there beside him. But there's some significant lessons there, isn't there, about holding up the arms of spiritual leadership. You may have heard people use that term before, holding up the arms of your pastor. Uh, that's a direct allusion with an A, not illusion with an I. That's a direct allusion. That's alluding to are making reference to that event where Aaron and Hur held up the arms of their leader so that their so that the God's people could get the victory. So that that event happened, and then Jethro, the uh, the the father-in-law of Moses, came, visited Moses, and and uh, probably mo- the, the biggest pressure at the moment was. Moses has come out of Egypt. Moses' daughter and, and the children are, are, are living here with Jethro, their uh, father and grandfather. And Jethro says, it's time for you to go back to your husband. <laughs> you know, he's brought the people out. Now, now he's safe. Now I'm going to take you back to, to your husband, Moses. And, uh, and he did. And, and while he was there, he noticed that, that Moses was, uh, was sitting there all day long and the children of Israel were bringing all their problems to Moses. And so Moses' life and time as, as the leader of the people was being frittered away on insignificant issues. I mean, you can see it. You can see it. Here, here's, a, a, here's a man and, and, his, and his brother, and they're walking together through the desert, and one brother keeps looking at the other, and the one who's being looked at says, You're looking at me. Why are you looking at me? Well, there's nothing else. Well, I don't like you looking at me. I'm, I'm taking you to Moses right now. You've got something wrong with you. And, you know, Moses is dealing with all kinds of ridiculous issues going on between people. Anybody ever had to deal with you're looking at me before? You know, you're, you ever been one that was looked at, you know, and you had to tell mom and dad about it and they had to stop the car and deal with it? Or, or even more dangerously, they didn't stop the car and deal with it. So... <laughs> But anyway, you know, I'm just giving a, giving a, a kind of a silly thing there. But Moses was dealing with every insignificant issue that the children of Israel uh, wanted some help in, and so Jethro came and said, "Moses, what you're doing is not good for the children of Israel, and is not good for you. You need to spread some authority out here." And so, um, so he pointed out that if you can find some some men of character 
then make them captains over, over thousands, captains over hundreds, captains over 50, and captains over 10. Let them deal with the minor issues, and if something too big comes up that they can't handle, then, then let, them, let them bring it to you. So there is some, some wisdom there from, from his father-in-law, which, which, the, um, which Moses instituted and which God blessed, as, as we see later on, uh, because the Holy Spirit came on those men whenever they, whenever they came together at another time. The Spirit of God came upon those men and they prophesied. There were even a couple of people that didn't make it to the meeting and the Spirit of God came on them in the midst of the camp. I've heard some teaching to say Jethro was giving Moses ungodly counsel, but the Lord vindicated that later on by showing that the Holy Spirit blessed that. All right, so there they are gathering the manna and there's the cloud and the pillar leading them through the wilderness. Now, when they came to Mount Sinai, the Lord wanted to make a covenant with them, and we looked at the at, at this last week, and I want us to put in here at, at Exodus chapter 19, and I think it's so important because in Exodus chapter 19 we have the preamble of the of the covenant that God made with the children of Israel. Most Christians and, and most theologians, most people think that, and you can ask them about this. You know, just get outside Mission Boulevard Baptist Church and ask and ask the average person, how are people in the Old Testament saved by keeping the law? Well, what if they sinned? Well, they had to offer the sacrifices to roll the sins back until Christ could come. You know, you'll hear some strange things about that. But they said that people were saved by keeping the law. And then, and then whenever God found out that people weren't good enough to be saved by keeping the law, then he, then he came up with plan B, which was to send Jesus so that people could be saved by grace. Tell me is not true, and I'll tell you, you haven't talked to very many people <laughs> because that's how most people are thinking about it. But if you, if you look at the preamble of the, of, the, of the covenant of the law here, there's nothing here about being saved. This covenant of the law has everything to do with, with God blessing the people of Israel to make them a peculiar people and a kingdom of priests. He was setting them up as the intercessors between God and the human race. The message that God had for the human race we're going to see in, in a few minutes. But the people of Israel, the whole nation was to be a kingdom of priests. The whole nation was to be a separate and a distinct people. And so when we come to the covenant of the law, that's what we see here. This, the purpose of the covenant of the law is given here in Exodus chapter 19, where he says in verse 5, Now therefore, if you will keep, obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. You shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. That's it. And, of course, the people of Israel said, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. And, of course, the rest of the Old Testament proves that they didn't know what they were talking about because they didn't. They were not obedient. But, but that was the point of the covenant, was to make them a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. There's nothing there about their individual salvation. The law was never given in order to give people individual salvation. One of the benefits of the law, as you read through the moral requirements of the law, is that you read through there and you find out, well, I blew it on this point, I blew it on this point, I didn't do that, I've disobeyed here. And it shows us that we're sinful and we're not able to be good enough to get to heaven, that we need a way out. We need to be rescued. We need somebody to save us from our sinful condition. We need a Savior. And in that way, the law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. So there's the purpose of the law to, to uh, make the children of Israel a kingdom of priests. The law has three major sections to it. Uh, 
There's the moral moral section of the law, that, which which is given in the Ten Commandments there in Exodus chapter 20. And then there are the ju- the judicial precepts of the law that are from from uh, Exodus chapter 21 through chapter 23. And just come with me there to to uh, chapter 21. Look at the first verse there. Chapter 20 is the Ten Commandments. Chapter 21, now these are the judgments which thou shalt set before them. And then we go through three chapters in which, in which God explains to Moses civil, um, well, I guess we'd call it tort law. The, the law regarding what to do in, the, in a case of workman's comp or if somebody kills somebody or if you've got an accidental uh, uh, an accident here, how things are to be taken care of. And the Lord's establishing a system of justice between them. And it's not justice that's to be implemented from one individual to the next, but it's to be done under, a, under the system of, of, of judges. And then, after we see the, uh, the judgments, then beginning in chapter 24, the Lord lays out this, uh, the ceremonial law. And, and he begins this part by, first of all, confirming the covenant in chapter 24. And then he calls Moses back up into the mountain to give Moses a, another whole set of instructions specifically for the purpose of teaching them. And he tells us that in Exodus chapter 24, verse 12, when he says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Come unto me into the mount and be there. What do you think of that statement? Come up into the mount unto me and be there. Have you ever gone someplace and you weren't there? Happens all the time, doesn't it? <laughs> Happens all the time. Yeah, we're, we, we went, but we weren't there. You know, our mind was somewhere else. So, you know, the Lord's really emphasizing to Moses, you come up, you be there. You know, this is a significant meeting. I will give thee tables of stone, a law and commandments, which I have written, that thou mayest teach them. So Moses went up, and what, what, what's the law that we see that God gave him? We see that the Lord gave him... Uh, seven chapters worth of instructions on the tabernacle. And, and those were given to Moses for the purpose of Moses teaching them to the children of Israel. And of course what they were going to do is that they were going to take this set of instructions and build the tabernacle. And then Moses was to explain to them the significance of it because the tabernacle itself was just a reflection of something else that Moses saw. And that it was through the tabernacle that the Holy Spirit was revealing things to the children of Israel about how to approach God on a personal level. So that's the uh, ceremonial law. But we're going to quickly draw this to a close tonight. I want you to come with me to the book of Deuteronomy. Um, Listen, the the ceremonial laws, which which include the facility of the tabernacle, it includes the priesthood, including the garments of the priest and who's supposed to be the priest and the duties of the priest. And it included the sacrifices, the, the different kinds of sacrifices, the, the different circumstances in which they're to be offered. It includes the festivals that the children of Israel were supposed to, supposed to observe. And it included how to take care of the tabernacle. And really, by the time you include all those, you've really got Exodus chapter 24 through Leviticus chapter 17. There, there are different events interwoven into the uh, statutes of the law. But, but really the giving of the law takes us all the way through Leviticus chapter 17. In fact, there's, there are a few precepts of the law regarding 
the transportation of the of the tabernacle found in the book of Numbers. Whenever they're getting ready to pack up, the Lord gave them instructions for who was supposed to pack up what and what order in the march they were supposed to be in. So, so there are even some instructions regarding the tabernacle on into the book of of, uh, of Numbers. But but the main body of instruction regarding ceremonial law goes through Leviticus chapter 17. Now, the results. The results of this law were twofold. One is, if you will obey the law, you're going to be blessed. If you disobey this covenant, if you disobey this law, you're going to be cursed. And I'd like you to come with me to a few, a few verses in Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy 28. And this is a quite a long chapter. We're just going to read a few key verses here. Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 1. Okay, now what, what we've done is, is that we're, we're, putting the, we're putting the tabernacle into context. And the context is that God's brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. He's brought them out because he wants to take them into the land of Canaan. And he wants to set them up to be a unique nation and bless them. And the, the, the tabernacle, this sanctuary, this place that represents the presence of God among them, is, is in the context of the people of Israel going in and establishing that kind of a life in, in front of the, the other nations. Verse 28. And it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe to do all his commandments which I command thee this day, that the Lord will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. Oh, yeah, the kingdom of priests and a holy nation. They're going to be set on high above all nations on the earth. Verse 2. And all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee, if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Then we have the, the list of the blessings. Now let's go to chapter 28. We're still in chapter 28. Look with me at verses 8 through 10. And the Lord shall command the blessing upon thee in thy storehouses and in all that thou settest thine hand unto. And he shall bless thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. And the Lord shall establish thee and holy people unto himself as he hath sworn unto thee if thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God and walk in his ways and all people of the earth shall see that thou art called by the name of the Lord and they shall be afraid of thee. So, in other words, they'll respect you. They will, they will have respect for you. So, you see, this ties right in with the, with the preamble of the covenant there, doesn't it? You obey these commandments, you're going to be a holy people, you're going to be a distinct people. Let's go to chapter, well, let's stay in this chapter and go to verse 15. Deuteronomy 28:15. But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. Let's skip down to verse 15. We already skipped to verse 15. Let's go to verse 63. Verse 63. And of course he goes through and gives them a, a detailed list of all the bad things that will happen to them. But look at verse 63. It says, and it shall come to pass, again, if you don't obey the commandments, and it shall come to pass that as the Lord rejoiced over you to do you good and to multiply you, so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and to bring you to naught, and ye shall be plucked from off the land whither thou goest to possess it. So if they would keep the covenant, they're going to be in the land, they're going to be blessed, they're going to fulfill God's purpose for them, as a holy people, a kingdom of priests. But if they don't, well, there's a long list of all the terrible things that will happen to them 
how their children will be destroyed, their crops will be destroyed, their bodies will be destroyed with different kind of diseases, and, and ultimately the Lord's going to remove them from the land that he promised to give them. All right. Secondly, the results of this. If the children of Israel kept this covenant, if they went into the land and they obeyed the moral precepts of the law, they would be unique. They would be unique because because the moral precepts that are given in the in the in the law here through through Moses would establish a an unusual kind of behavior because most people I mean just think through the 10 commandments most people do not honor the true and living God most people do not have respect for God as the only authority most people do not set aside time like the sabbath day they don't set aside time to remember the works of the creation and the greatness of God. They don't honor their parents. They, they do kill people. Murder is common. Adultery is common. Stealing is common. Lying is common. Plotting to take away things that belong to other people is common all over the world. And so to have a group of people that actually live by the precepts of the law would make them unique. In fact, in fact, if you could see one of those people, you would say, wow, that guy's from a different planet. I mean, he is really strange. And then, and then they would have their own distinct judicial system that was not characterized by who has the most money or who's the most influential, or in other words, what we would call politics. But it would be a system of true justice. A system of true justice in, in which people, well get what they deserve for better or for worse and and then uh, uh, if they would if they would keep these commandments they would be occupied with the things of God throughout the year with the different holy days and they would be going to, to God's to God's house they would be going to the tabernacle to receive instruction about the Lord and they would be going to the tabernacle to show to show that you know, God's important to me and I'm trusting the Lord to provide a sacrifice for me and I'm bringing this animal. I'm bringing this animal as a testimony that I'm a sinner and I'm depending upon God to, to provide a way for, for me to be forgiven of my sins and to be reconciled to him and I, and I yearn for that fellowship with God. You see, what would, be hap- what would happen here is that these people would be a distinct culture. Every facet of their life would be unique among all the people of the earth. And that's what God wanted to accomplish with them, was to establish a whole nation that was going to have a unique testimony for the glory of God and to bring people to God so that they could be made acceptable to God through, well, through the seed of Abraham that would come through the Savior. It says review there. That, that word review is not for me to go over all this again with you. That's the, uh, whenever you go through the law, there's a segment there after, after all the instructions are given. And then we follow them through their journeys in the wilderness. And then Moses gives his farewell address to the nation of Israel. And Moses' farewell address to the people of Israel is the book of Deuteronomy. And in the book of Deuteronomy, in that book, Moses reviews with the children of Israel what God expects of them when they go into the land. He reviews what the Lord did for them when he brought them out of Egypt. 
and then he instructs them on how they're to live whenever they go in to take the land. So there's a, a review of the law there in, in the book of Deuteronomy. And I really like to encourage you, while we're, while we're in this uh, study of the tabernacle, please read. Please read that Exodus, really read through Exodus through Deuteronomy and it will refresh it and, and uh, make it more, more meaningful to you as, as we go through here.